the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The fact is not available in all. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. trust Jesus? Do those words actually mean anything to you? Do you have anything on the line? Do you have any risk factors on the line with whether or not you will trust Jesus? The scriptures are are clear But then we have to make decisions about what we'll do with those wonderful passages of Scripture. Psalm, the third chapter, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. 
Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Or if we go over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the 17th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree transplanted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. So the Lord is saying to Jeremiah, Look, do you trust me? Do you trust my word? And that trust is worked out in how we act, in how we behave. It's not a matter of saying, oh yes, I trust Jesus. It's a matter of, do your actions reflect the reality of your trusting in Jesus? Now there's one more passage of scripture I want to share with you. It's found in the book of Mark, in the gospel of Mark, and it's found in the 11th chapter. This passage of scripture has challenged me year after year after year. Let me read it for you. Mark 11. I'll begin reading with verse 22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, the question, is this true? Will God move in the physical realm to bring you the deliverance you need that the mountain doesn't land on your head and crush you? Will he deliver you, or is it up to you? And are these words about trust simply metaphorical? Are they whimsical? Are they sentimental? Or are they true? Is the word of God cash in the bank that you can go to the grocery store and buy your food? Can you trust Jesus? Not just words, but in the reality of your actions. Do you trust Jesus? And with me in studio today, again, is Alexandra 
Welcome, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Of course, I'm going to ask you the question. Do you trust Jesus? And what's that look like for you? Yes, I do trust Jesus. Um, I think it would be helpful to illustrate an example of, uh, so Ray's talking about our actions. So you, many of you may have heard of Jewel, George Mueller or Hudson Taylor. These are two men who are commonly recognized as having really lived out their lives by faith. So George Mueller began an orphanage in England and he had absolutely no money when he started it. And he had already been living by faith for his own personal needs up to this point, which if you read his biography, he talks about how he used to receive a salary and the Lord challenged him to go off salary and to just rely on whatever gifts people would give him. And he actually found that he ended up, I think, with a third more at the end of the year than he would have had if he had salary. So it was kind of a gradual working up to faith. But he finally got to this point where he was able to trust trust God for the care and feeding of hundreds of orphans in England. And he didn't, you know, have his own job that he was, you know, using to funnel funds into this project. But he just, he knew that God had called for it and he had promises that he stood on. Uh, you see the same thing with Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China. He was the first missionary to go into inland China. So off the coast, actually going inland into the country. And there's a really famous story. Their, their ship, as they were traveling to China, got into a really bad storm. And everyone on the ship was afraid that they were going to die and they would never make it. And Hudson Taylor walks out on deck in the middle of this storm and he says, This ship will arrive in China because I am called to China. So that's the kind of faith position we're talking about. It's not where you're just asking God and hoping he answers, but you actually have a promise and you believe it, and that becomes true in your life. And you know you're not delusional because God actually answers your prayers, and he continues to answer year after year after year. So you can't just explain it away as coincidence. So for me personally... Um, God has made it very clear that he called me to the National Prayer Chapel and he gave me several specific um, visions that are promises for revival coming to Washington DC at a particular location and that it would be a continuous revival with people coming from other states with healings so I could choose to say, well, I don't really see that happening. I'm going to go do my own thing. Um, but that doesn't work. And what I have found, for example, I was teaching English to an, in an after-school program because I, God had told me to be a writer at the National Prayer Chapel. So I said, okay, I'll be a writer at the National Prayer Chapel. But I didn't really believe that God would actually support me in doing that. So I thought, well, I still have to, you know, support myself. And this finally came to a head after a couple months, and I found that I couldn't even read the Bible. I was just totally blocked out of all the promises of God. This, is, this had never happened to me before since I was converted, and I was just terrified. 
I was like, I need to repent right now because I like if I die like this, I'm not saved. So I had it was very humiliating. I had to write a letter of resignation to uh, several different places I was working and apologize. And I had to stop. I was doing some freelance work, so I had to contact my clients and ex you know apologize and explain to them why I could no longer um, provide writing and editing services. So then I was like, okay, I, I'm believing that God is going to answer. And this kind of similarly for me, there had kind of been a gradual building up to this point because I, even when I was working, I wasn't actually making enough to pay my rent. And so, you know, I have to come to, the, you know, it gets to like the last week of the month and you're like, okay, rent is due in a week. And you go to the Lord and you're like, Okay, Lord, you see the amount that's due, but you said in Matthew 6.33 that if I sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that everything I need would be given to me. And I'm not walking in any sin. I'm here because you called me here. I'm not in any disobedience to you. So I trust you that you will pay for the rent. There's many different ways you can do this. You might name some of the ways. <laughs> you say, you know, do you want me to take any action on these things? And every month, God would provide in some... It was always different. It wasn't usually the same twice. But he was very faithful. He never, I, I never missed a payment on anything. Um, I mean, complete strangers would come up to me and give me money sometimes. In reality, that's exactly how we're living right now. Yes. We're not on salary. We wait on the Lord. Yes. We live totally by faith. And every month he's covered the rent. Yep. And it's that same, you know, you start getting to the end of the month. You see how short you are. And you just present it to God. So I was thinking about this yesterday about children. You know, Jesus said that we enter the kingdom of God as a child. And children don't have really the ability to do anything without their parents. If a child wants something, he can't just pull out his wallet and go buy it. He has to ask his mom or his dad, and then they have to say yes and actually go get it for him. Or say no. Or, or they'll say no. That can happen. But it, we know that if we're praying according to the will of God and we have a promise that we're not going to get a no. He'll answer. Yes. And in that line, I want to say thank you to uh, a dear sister, I don't usually do this on the air, but today I need to. Leslie, thank you. The gift you sacrificed was a direct answer to prayer. And I want to thank you for being willing to trust Jesus. And you ask that we pray that you have money for your rent. So I'm going to pray right now that you will have what you need for your rent. Lord, we come now and lift Leslie before you. And Lord, she asked that we would pray that she would be able to cover her rent. And Lord, I'm coming in agreement with her and I'm asking that you would totally cover her expenses. 
and honor her for her sacrifice for your kingdom. Lord, we praise your name. There is a great shout in heaven when you see the faithfulness of your saints. Lord, I thank you today for Leslie, and I ask for your blessing of peace upon her and great faith that you will answer the prayer of her heart. Lord, thank you. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Leslie. You know, some people give out of their poverty, and some people do a toss-off. Okay, I can send this, and it won't hurt me either way. When you do that, we're very grateful that you send and help cover the cost of the radio. But where you really begin to edge into the trust is to do what Jesus asks you to do. There's one person who is very wealthy, but is also very cynical. And so they will send something, but there's always the correction with it. There's always the, the knife with it. There's always the lack of fellowship with it. The Lord doesn't honor that kind of giving. He honors a person who responds in love and kindness and obedience to his word. So we thank each one of you who is giving. We're honored that you would help us cover the cost of this radio broadcast. And, and I didn't mean to do this now, but I will. You can give online by going to nationalprayerchapel.com. Click on the donate button. Or you can write to us. Do you want to give the address? Yes, you can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And that address is also on the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Now, we want to share with you today a story out of the Argentine revival. It's not the story of conversions, but rather the more mature coming totally up to faith and obeying the Lord and laying their life down for what Jesus has called for. You know, life is not about money. You cannot serve both God and mammon. It's serving Jesus and laying your life down for him and risking everything for him and for his kingdom. So we want to share this story. It's called Your Little Ones. This is from the book, The Flaming Flame, the story of continued revival in Argentina by Dr. Miller. Would you start us? Yes. The title of this chapter is Your Little Ones. Doctor, why don't you take the child home? The words penetrated as piercing barbs of fire in Nellie's heart. Why should I take him home, she thought. What responsibility is it of mine? Why should I be saddled with the responsibility of raising a child that someone else discards? Her mind returned to the hospital ward where the child lay, a blonde with blue eyes and fair skin, just 18 months old. 
Why didn't his mother want him? How could she abandon him in the hospital, never to return again? Someone needs to provide a home for him, she thought. But why should I take him? Why should I forfeit my independence, my own personal rights and future plans? But the words casually spoken by her dental nurse continued to cut as spear thrusts and hammer again and again in her mind. Doctor, why don't you take the child home? Although Nalita Raheb, a Christian dentist, had been working at the Mar del Plata Hospital for months and had known of the homeless child's plight, it had never seriously occurred to her that she might be the answer to his problem until her assistant had suggested it. For days afterwards, the young dentist struggled with many poignant questions. Am I willing to take the orphan child home with me? Willing to give up my own rights in order to care for him? What about my call to ministry? Shouldn't my task be to evangelize? How can I rear an abandoned orphan child? Every little one has a right to a home and parents to love him. But isn't my first responsibility to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to save souls? Unable to unravel the complicated maze of interwoven threads by her own reasonings, she finally fled to God for counsel, ascending Prayer Mountain alone to lay all her questions before him. Even there she tried to argue in reason. Then finally, in desperation, she cried, All right, Lord, you speak to me. You tell me what I ought to do. As she waited in his presence, God began to open scriptures to her that she had never seen before. They spoke of your little ones that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and those who have no knowledge of good and evil. Little by little, she began to understand that God wanted her to accept the child. But like Jacob of old, she wrestled. Only after endless hours of struggle did she finally yield and become willing to accept the responsibility. Announcing her decision to the hospital staff, she was amazed to find that the child had already been taken away by another doctor just a few hours before. Greatly relieved, yet in wonderment, she hid the experience away in her heart, pondering what God desired to say to her through it all. Finally, she lightly concluded, Oh well, he is just one of the many who are abandoned in the hospitals. Why should I be concerned? What could one person possibly do to meet this tremendous need? So with this self-defense, she swiftly tucked the matter away in her heart, somehow relieved that the child was not to be hers. Pioneer pastoral work in the small country of Duluth was most difficult for Nellie. And to keep spiritually afloat, she found it necessary to seek the Lord diligently in fasting and prayer. One early morning, long before dawn, she waited in his presence, as was her custom. The Holy Spirit quickened to her heart the 19th verse of the second chapter of Lamentations. Arise, cry out in the night. In the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. What could this scripture mean? 
Was she to intercede for the children of La Deleuze? Did God consider her adult parishioners as little ones perishing of hunger? Not comprehending, yet in obedience to the scriptural command, she lifted up her hands in worship and poured out her heart in intercession, crying out to him, Lord, give me my little ones who are perishing. Although she carried the burden of prayer for many days until she felt that God had heard, she still continued to ponder who are these young children that God considers mine. Does he mean that children in Argentina are actually fainting for hunger in the streets? Where are these children? Before many weeks had passed, Nellie understood where some of these children lived, in mud hut houses with straw roofs, in dilapidated shacks made with any scrap of material available, in open city plazas, in hospitals. A group of three little ones was abandoned in an empty house by drunken parents who left them without food. Others were cast off just anywhere that was convenient. Some lived on meager diets of bread and wine and were cruelly beaten by their parents. Many were orphaned by sickness, death, and sin. One child found his only home in the mental asylum where his mother had been interred. A normal child, when he entered, he began to imitate the ways of the demented ones around him. The cries of these tiny, forsaken, and despised ones ascended up to the throne of God, and his heart was moved with compassion as he saw the needs of the little ones who were unwanted, unloved, and cast off. As Nellie continued to seek his face in prayer, the Lord likewise burdened her heart with their need. Drawing near to him, she heard a voice saying, Who will go for us to rescue these? More clearly now, she understood what God was desiring to say to her. Unbeknown to Nellie two years before, when God gave us the blueprints for Pinnell work, he had also spoken of a children's home. Unbeknown to me, even as we were praying and interceding for the fulfillment of his word to build a children's work, he was already burdening Nellie's heart to share with us in that work. One day, when Nellie just happened to be in our Mar del Plata on a visit, I felt to share with several of our workers our burden to begin a children's home and my conviction that God's time had come to begin building. As we talked, Nellie began to smile, then casually remarked, I do believe that the Lord would have me share with you in this new work. Then rather reticently went on to recount God's dealing with her in the Mardell Plaza Hospital and in Deleuze. Months before, Nellie discovered that a work for abandoned and orphaned children was on God's drawing board for us here in the Pinnell work. He was already calling her to that work. The prospect of beginning such a work presented many problems. Where would supplies come from for the additional provisions and buildings? How could we contact needy children? Where was the personnel to care for them? Would Nellie be capable of administering such a home? 
she showed little natural inclination for such work and little understanding or tolerance for children, would she be satisfactory? And we never had any experience in this type of work before, but because Nellie felt that God required her to accept this new responsibility as the director of this home, and because we knew that God had spoken to us, we joined together in prayer and labors more abundant. Las Paneras Children's Home, a home for unwanted, neglected, and abandoned children was brought into being in obedience to the demands of the Master. Questioning the Lord as to how the orphanage should be supported, Nellie presented a fleece to the Lord in prayer. If within a month she received a gift of 1,000 pesos, about $20 U.S., earmarked exclusively for the children's work, she would accept it as a sign that the orphanage should be sustained by faith in a faithful heavenly father. On the 28th day of the month, now certain that the Lord would not fulfill her condition, for she had never received any offerings before, Nellie confided to us of her covenant, gleefully confident, that it was already too late for the Lord to do anything. The following day, a friend came to visit. Having heard of our desire to begin a children's work, she handed Nellie an envelope containing exactly 1,000 pesos. Thus God confirmed to her that the orphanage should be operated on the same principles of faith, in the faithfulness of God, as the Bible Institute was, supplies and buildings, should come as they did for Pinal, in answer to importunate prayer. Abandoned in a dreary hospital ward lay another child. Unlike the first child Nellie had seen in the hospital, little Carlos was a direct contrast. Olive skin, not too pleasant features, dark hair, and black, fear-filled eyes. Nearly starved to death and resented, cruelly lashed and hated by his parents, he had been brought to the hospital and abandoned there. Doctors and nurses, feeling sorry for him, had restored him to health through months of careful treatment. Even the marks of the cruel belt-buckle lashing finally faded away. When his hospital home desired to release him, no one seemed to want the rather homely child. Hearing of our desire to work among abandoned children, a nurse asked Nellie if she would take him. Little Carlos became the first child to find refuge in Los Pinares, the Pine Grove Children's Home. In the years that followed, other children came to the homes, located in the lovely grove of pines. Little Anna Maria and Nilda, sisters whose mother died of tuberculosis. Rodolfo, whose father no one seemed to know. Jorge, who spent his infant months in a mental asylum and imitated their antics. Christina, orphaned as a tiny child and thrown from one shelter to another. Emilio and Alfredo, so savage when they first arrived that no one could tolerate them. These and many others found refuge in Los Pinares and made up the family of little ones who called Los Pinares their home and Nellie their mommy. But this is getting ahead of our story. 
It's time to rise up and build the orphanage, the Lord said one day as I saw him in prayer. Shocked, I leaned back on my knees and began to laugh. Time to initiate a new construction when we were already several months behind in paying for the work already completed on the Institute? It was the first time this had happened to us. Our bills had always been paid promptly. Fortunately, the workers had not come requesting payment, but should they have come, our pockets would have been empty. And now as I earnestly sought the Lord to meet our financial needs, which now summed up to thousands of pesos, God seemingly ignored the unpaid bills and gave the order to undertake immediate construction of our first children's unit. Because it seemed totally preposterous, I just laughed. Ignoring my laughter, the Lord simply spoke again, giving a condition and a promise. If you can believe for it, I will give it to you. My answer was spontaneous. All right then, Lord, I'll believe. Although the bills on the unfinished institute were still unpaid, we began immediate work on the blueprints for the new home to be built on the law alongside the institute. We urgently needed 40,000 pesos to pay back bills and to begin construction on the new unit. Not too long afterwards, a letter came from a dear personal friend with hallelujah scrawled across the top, telling us of God's provision, exactly the amount we were needing to pay the back bills and start the construction. God's provision for the building of the second home is a heartwarming story, a memorial to a young lad and his loving parents. It is a story of tragedy and triumph. We feel it should be told. Mummy, what do you suppose the children in Africa are doing this morning? And do you suppose the Korean children have enough to eat? Inquired young Ronnie as he ate the nourishing breakfast prepared by his devoted mother. His interest in missionary lands came quite naturally, for both he and his parents scarcely ever missed a missionary service at their local church. When the lad began to ask such questions, his mother never quite knew what answers to give him. Often she wondered at her only child's interest in missions. Ronnie was a special gift from the kind Heavenly Father to his Canadian parents, who were well along in years. His daddy deeply loved his own boy, but he also loved the other pint-sized neighbor kids who often gathered on the front veranda to chat and ask questions. Yes, there was a special place in his daddy's heart, too, for all children. Surrounded by love, Ronnie early learned to love the same God that his parents worshipped. A docile child with a sweet spirit, he was not difficult to discipline, for his desire was to please the Lord. There seemed to be something special about Ronnie. Even his unsaved neighbors recognized it. The lonesome elderly lady whom he always greeted as he passed her veranda, and the corner shopkeeper to whom the lad returned the extra change he had been given mistakenly. One day, as his mother sat meditating in the park near her home, the glory of the presence of the Lord drew near, and her heart was overwhelmed with his beauty and loveliness. She felt new life and strength surging in. Joy filled her heart and life seemed so worth living. Just three days later, 
the Lord drew near unannounced, and he tenderly carried away 12-year-old Ronnie to be with him. The beautiful gift, so sovereignly given, God came to reclaim. Young Ronnie drowned at a supervised beach where he had been taking swimming lessons. Stunned by the suddenness of their loss, shocked and sorrowful beyond measure, perplexed, desperate, and questioning, his parents heard the Holy Spirit speak quietly to them through John 12:24, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Still not understanding why it happened, yet they were somehow comforted. God must have had some reason. God had given and God had taken away, so they blessed and worshipped the name of the Lord in the midst of their deep sorrow. With abundant tears and broken hearts, they meditated on the much fruit that God had promised, wondering how they could cooperate with him to help bring it forth. This little poem became their testimony. Though our plans and hopes may seem blighted, we will love him and trust in him still. For we know all is well that he doeth, and our hearts say Amen to his will. During the days that followed, as they sought the Lord in prayer, he showed them how to invest their child's life and his death in the eternal kingdom. With the money saved up for Ronnie's education, they understood that they should build a home for abandoned and unwanted children on the foreign field. So taking Ronnie's money, which was almost sacred to them, they built our second children's home. Ronnie's life is a daily testimony to all who come to visit the homes, of which there are now five. The story of his death and gift has been publicized through television, radio, newspapers, and in large public gatherings of unbelievers. As people listen, they are strangely moved, for this is a quality of love they have not known before. Ronnie's story draws them closer to God. The boy who loved children in foreign lands and his mommy and daddy, who in their own personal sorrow, worshipped and loved the one who had taken away their only son, pointed men heavenward. Instead of yielding to bitterness, self-pity, and rebellion, Ronnie's parents allowed God's love to flow out through them to others. Our second home is a memorial to a little boy who died and to his mother and father, who loved their God and gave to others. Ronnie's life is a grain of wheat, which fell, but is now bringing forth an abundant harvest. Being dead, yet he speaks and tells a story, which causes scores of unbelievers to understand the love of God. Ronnie's story is the story of a tragedy, which in the hands of God became a triumph. One day, God sent the ravens to bring food to his little ones in Los Perineros. Uncle Poncho, a middle-aged man who was the chief inspector of the croppers, the men who supervised the tables in the government-owned gambling casino, came one day to help lay tile in the kitchen of Ronnie's cottage. As he worked, he began to observe and ask questions, and his heart was touched as he realized the needs of the children childless himself after many years of marriage. His heart was moved for these little ones who had so little. Returning to the casino, he enthusiastically talked to his work partners 
of the children's home he had just visited. The next day several of the men came with him to Los Paneras to visit just as the milkman arrived. Is this all the milk you're getting for so many children, they inquired? Going outside, they instructed the milkman to increase the daily quantity and bring the full bill to them. Later, others of the casino joined them, banding together to help. Soon they were bringing groceries, fruits, meats, fish, furniture, toys, clothing. One day we discovered that the that the men were nicknamed the Ravens because of the black clothing they wear at work. In this modern day, God had chosen the Ravens and commanded them to bring bread and flesh to his children in the time of need. Any doubts we had regarding Nellie's abilities as mother and administrator were dispelled with the passing of the months. Learning the efficacy of the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, and the veracity of the word, beholding him we are changed, Nellie proved sufficient for the work of the Lord. Today she is an enigma to scores of unbelievers who come to observe the work and ask her, why did you, a dentist, with social standing, financial security, a professional reputation, leave everything to devote your life to rearing homeless children. And they watch amazed as the children play so happily and run affectionately to Mama Nellie clinging to her, the only real mother they've ever known. What is your secret? they ask. Nellie tells them about Jesus, the one who, though being co-equal with God, yet laid aside all of his glory to be of no reputation just because he loved us, atheists, infidels, unbelievers, questioning ones, Jews and Gentiles alike, all observe and wonder, not understanding yet admiring the strong motivation which made Nellie relinquish all earthly benefits to lay down her life for others. One magazine journalist titled an article he wrote concerning Nellie and her large family. She sought God and found children. At one time, food prices began to soar almost overnight. People with small families began to wonder how they could care for their children. They're wondering how they can care for two or three. Then what shall I do with my tribe? Nellie thought. Then the Lord reproved her for her doubts and strengthened her faith with the verse, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And Nellie knew that he could. One day he reminded her that the silver and gold are all his. That's wonderful, she thought, but how are you going to get it to me? In the days that followed, she learned that his ways of providing were varied and many. At one time, she needed exactly 5,000 pesos to meet a particular need. A lady from the Labrath Church brought an offering to the orphanage in memory of her brother who had died. The gift was exactly 5,000 pesos. Others who would have given this sum of money to the priest to say a mass for the dead, but this lady brought it to the living Burdened with the full responsibility of caring for her growing family, Nellie cried out to the Lord for help. Shortly afterward, a new visitor, visitor appeared. 
the owner of a large laundry service, offering to do all the bed linens and laundry each week free of charge. God had heard her cry and began to provide. In answer to her prayer, other helpers came to cook, make beds, sew, and clean. As soon as the children were able, Nellie taught them to make their own beds, scrub the floors, help with the younger children, wash and dry the dishes, and serve the tables. A visiting professor from an industrial school noted that the children had little playground equipment, so he assigned a project to his students to make some for them. As a result of this project, a complete set of playground equipment was donated by the school and its students. God was showing the mother of Las Paneras that he could get the silver and gold to her and to her children by many and diverse methods. The resources of the earth were his and he would release them to her as they were needed. Having sold his ranch in the country, a certain man brought 100 ducks to town to sell them to a friend who had agreed on a certain price. When it was time to deliver the ducks, the friend began to haggle over the price. His attitude so angered the owner of the ducks that he refused to sell them to him at any price. Then, as he stood wondering what in the world he was going to do with so many ducks, another friend suggested that he donate them to Los Panares. Visiting the children's homes for the first time, he un suddenly understood why this had all happened. The ducks should be given to the children. So while he made repeated trips to bring sackful after sackful of ducks to the orphanage, accompanied by Nellie, she took full advantage of the situation to tell him of the true purpose of the children's work. You know, she volunteered, we consider your help as divine assistance from God, and not just a charity impulse on your part. The duck man continued visiting Los Pinares in the months that followed, becoming a staunch friend and helper of the children. He is but one of the many who come to observe or help, then stay on through the years as devoted friends. Later, through the work of the orphanage, he found God. Los Pinares needed a telephone, but telephones were impossible to obtain. Few new telephones were issued due to lack of equipment, and we had already been on the waiting list for years. One day, as Nellie was telephoning from a nearby business establishment, the owner commented, So you folks in Los Pinares don't have a telephone? Well, the governor of the province is a close friend of mine, and I believe I can persuade him to give you permission to install a telephone. Somewhat incredulously, Nellie and the rest of us dismissed it from our minds. Hadn't we already waited in vain for a telephone for so many, year for so many years? Several months later, the telephone company came to make an estimate of the installation costs. True to the promise of our neighbor, the provincial governor had granted us permission to install a telephone. But when we learned that the cost of the installation would be several thousand American dollars, we again dismissed the telephone idea as an impossibility. Where would that much money come from just to install a telephone? In a very unique manner, God supplied for the installation of the telephone. Engineers offered to draw up the plans without charge. Businessmen donated the materials. Telephone union workers offered to work without charge on weekends and holidays. 
and the workers within the telephone company itself absorbed the total cost of the installation. Commenting on the miracle of the telephone installation at Los Penares, one of the newspapers said, Unity and love can do all things. As different needs arose in the homes, God supplied sufficient to meet the needs of the many little ones and their helpers. He proved that he was able to furnish a table, even in the wilderness. One day, the Lord quickened to Nelly the scripture, Ye shall eat of the riches of the Gentiles. Revising her accounts at a later date, she was amazed to find that a large part of the support for the orphanage came from non-believers. God was spoiling the Gentiles to care for his own. And she was reminded of Cornelius, whose prayers and alms ascended up before God as a memorial, even before he came to know the true way. And God's children have ministered to the homes as well. A retired American architect and his wife, devoted workers among children, visited Los Pinares. Because God hadn't sent any little ones to their own home, they loved the children of others in a special way. Observing the crowded condition in which the Pinedas children lived, they longed to build more adequate quarters for them. Returning to their homeland, they later sent a sizable donation to build a large children's unit. Learning of Los Pinedas in some secular magazine, in a newspaper, or through the word of a friend, scores of Argentines have come to visit and observe, and they like what they see. Many have helped in material ways. Some have come just to observe and ponder. Others just to talk with Nelly. Because of the lovely spirit of the children, so happy and uninhibited, yet affectionate and disciplined, many have questioned how this success is possible. Many, among them doctors, lawyers, and wealthy merchants, have come just to converse with Nelly and to see the children. Her field of evangelism included all classes of people. If ever there were any doubts in Nellie's mind regarding the effectiveness of an orphanage established and maintained on God's principles as a tool of evangelism, they have long ago been laid aside. Her call to the ministry to evangelize, to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ, is being successfully realized in a way so beautiful that she never could have envisioned it herself. Only the Lord could have originated it. Mar Platense's return again and again to Los Pinares to converse with Nelly and to watch the children, admiring the work being done in the little ones whose lives and characters are being completely transformed. Surrounded by the spirit of Jesus and tender loving care, many who came with serious personality and character problems have become normal, happy, outgoing, and well-behaved children. Youngsters, considered by others as hopeless, have responded to the work of the Lord in their hearts and have found salvation from their sins. As observers watch the children at play and hear them happily singing choruses, their hearts slowly open as flowers to the sun. They see God being manifested through little children, and they wonder, if God has done this for Nelly and the children, can't he do something for me as well? After all, is not this the true religion. Mar del Plata dwellers observe, converse, then go away with their thoughts. Is there a possibility that the one who changed these little lives can do something for me? 
Opening their hearts, they tell Nellie of their home problems, marred lives, and deep fears. Although they probably never would have entered an evangelical church or listened to a gospel broadcast, yet they come out to the Mar del Plata suburbs to watch little children at work and play. When Nellie became obedient to God's command to forsake all to follow him, to care for abandoned little ones, she apparently lost everything. In actuality, she gained the very thing she had longed for and more. Her success with the little ones has opened for her an abundant door of ministry to hundreds in Mar del Plata. Well, we're out of time for today. Don't miss tomorrow. It's going to be a powerful broadcast. A broadcast of God's glory and meeting the needs, changing lives. We want you to join us for the, for the broadcast tomorrow. Yes, and what I hope you're hearing is that these promises and this trusting as God and trusting in God is not just for your own life, but it's because you have devoted your life to God and to the gospel. So it's for the work of God that we're able to stand. And tonight at 7 o'clock, the doors will open on the All Saints Anglican Church and we will hold a Revival Now meeting. I invite you to come. Let faith rise up in your heart for the healing of your body, for the healing of your soul. Come to Revival Now. We're located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Or go to our webpage, revivalnow.church. Revivalnow.church. We're going to look for you and we're praying for you. Our meeting begins at 7.30 p.m. Come and join tonight and see what God will do for you. He is faithful. He keeps his promise. God bless you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I'm Alexandra Greenley. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.